you want to give love to the city, that's a fact. But you're going to need help if you want to make an impact. Well endowed, you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community. Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a bonus episode of the Well Endowed Podcast. I'm Andrew Paul. This podcast is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation, and we are a proud affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Edmonton is full of generous donors who have created endowment funds at ECF. These funds are carefully stewarded to generate money that supports charities in Edmonton and beyond. On this podcast, we share stories about how these funds help strengthen our community, because it's good to be well endowed. Over the past 10 years, the Eldon and Anne Foote Edmonton Visual Arts Prize has recognized outstanding artists from the Edmonton region. To celebrate the anniversary of this prize, the Art Gallery of St. Albert hosted a special exhibition. In Good Company brings together the three most recent award winners, Lauren Crazybull, Aaron Munson, and Gillian Willens, and all the artists on the 2021 award shortlist, including Emmanuel Asahor, the creative duo Sharon Rose Kootenay and Jason Symington, and this year's winner, Preston Pavlis. On January 15, 2022, the Art Gallery of St. Albert hosted a virtual panel discussion with artists Lauren Crazybull, Emmanuel Asahor, and Preston Pavlis. In this discussion, we get to learn about each artist's practice, what they love about art making, and the challenges they find as they make their place in the art community. The panel was moderated by Christina Battle. We are pleased to rebroadcast this discussion. Please note that it has been lightly edited for sound quality and to reduce some pauses. We hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the first of two virtual panel talks featuring artists from our fabulous feature exhibition in Good Company. My name is Emily Baker, and I am the curator here at the Art Gallery of St. Albert. Today's talk will be on the early stages of an artistic career, where we'll hear from Lauren Crazybull. My name is Lauren Crazybull, and I'm based in Vancouver, BC. Emmanuel Oshahor. My name is Emmanuel Oshahor. I'm currently based in Toronto, Ontario. And Preston Pavlis. My name is Preston Pavlis. I'm currently based in Halifax, Nova Scotia. The Art Gallery St. Albert's feature exhibition, In Good Company, celebrates the 10th anniversary of the Elder Man Foot Edmonton Visual Arts Prize. This award recognizes outstanding artists who live, work, and contribute to the vibrant artistic community here in the Edmont greater Edmonton region. To mark the anniversary, the Art Gallery St. Albert has brought together four of the past award winners, as well as the artists who are on the 2021 award shortlist for an exhibition titled In Good Company. Not only did we want to be able to show these artists incredible works to our visitors, we wanted to be able to provide an opportunity to the public to hear their voices and to get to know them. So I am delighted to pass the microphone over to our lovely moderator, Christina Battle, artist, curator, writer, editor, community connector, and herself a past nominee for the Ellen Foot Award. So please, Christina, Lauren, Preston, Emmanuel, the floor is yours, take it away. All right. Lauren Crazybull is a Nitsitapi Dene painter. In her work, Crazybull interrogates how Indigenous identities have been historically represented and understood through visual culture. Working primarily in portraiture, a long-standing genre that has often embedded with an imbalance of power between artist, viewer, and sitter, Crazybull seeks to examine the relationship between herself as an artist and the individuals she paints. Through this ongoing work, Lauren uses her work as a way to assert her own humanity and advocate in diverse and subtle ways for the innate intellectual, spiritual, creative, and political fortitude of Indigenous peoples. 
Emmanuel Osahar is a Nigerian artist currently based in Treaty 3 territory. His practice is invested in the histories of painting, photography, and installation, through which he seeks to ask pertinent questions about society by wrestling with situations present in his community. His recent work explores the garden as a complicated sanctuary space within which the desire for utopia can be discussed, bringing forward the complications of hope and failure inherent in utopic imagining. He is a graduate of the University of Alberta's BFA program and is currently an MFA candidate at the University of Guelph. His work is held in multiple collections and has been included in solo and group exhibitions. Preston Pavlis was born in Loma Linda, California. He resided in Edmonton, Alberta and currently lives in Halifax, Nova Scotia, where he's completing his studies at the Nova Scotia College of Arts and Design. Pavlis was Alberta's regional winner of the BMO First Art Competition in 2019 and recently won the 2021 Eldon and Ann Edmonton Visual Arts Prize, which is why we're all gathered here today. He has presented his work in exhibitions at, I'm, I'm apologizing for the pronunciation in advance, the Bradley Ertaskirin, Montreal, and uh, at Half Gallery in New York City, and the John and Maggie Mitchell Gallery here in Edmonton. His work has also been included in recent art fair presentations, including Freeze, New York, and Nada, Miami. So thank you so much to you three for coming together. Um, so I want to start by asking each of you um, a question about um, your practices as artists. So one of the things that I was thinking about as I was sort of spending time thinking more deeply about each of your work is that you often work with similar materials um, and within a similar discipline, although recognizing that you may be branching away from uh, one particular discipline across your practices. Um, but I've been really taken with how each of you have navigated and worked with scale and memory in your work um, in the different uh, projects and exhibitions that I've seen. And I was sort of curious to hear from you, each of you, how those things might relate um, to you as artists, as, as people, you know, why it is that you sort of tackle those um, uh, methods of working. So if we could begin there, and if each of you could speak a little bit about scale, memory, what does it mean to you in your work? Uh, maybe that's in a practical sense, maybe it's in a conceptual sense, and then we'll see where maybe we have some common ground from there. Maybe Emmanuel, do you want to begin? Sure, I'll jump. I'll jump in. Um, the first, yeah, the first thing that's like front and center for me is thinking about scale, because I, I always like uh, I tend to make large paintings, and I get frustrated with myself every time I have to move the paintings, and I'm like, why, why do you do this to yourself? Um, and so I think about that a lot, and a lot of it comes down to this idea or this desire for immersion. Um, that has that I think has become important to me, especially thinking about painting, but then it's also moved into some of the installations I've made where um, I think I think i've I've realized that it, it it's it becomes effective for me um, to to sort of go big in terms of trying to create a sense of immersion or to make an experience that feels a bit palpable, like, a lot of the work that I'm trying to create, um, I think something that undergirds it is is this desire to recreate an experience, um, which then I think goes to the memory um, side of the question. Probably the first like serious body of work I would I would say like okay this is a serious body of work that I really 
um, made was towards the end of my uh, my BFA uh, at U of A, and then I was working with uh, family photographs and really thinking about the constructed nature of memory. But I think what was really important there was is less about the con the conceptual like limitations of the work, and it was more about like beginning to think about what it means to make work that's personal to me and work that I, I'm deeply invested in. And somehow, I think for me, like, I have to rely on my own lived experience. And that's what brings in this reality of, of memory or this, this play with memory. You know, I think I'm sort of similar in my approach to at least scale, mm-hmm. just how I make my own work. Like, for me, like I work figurative mainly, like for the most part. And um, my works tend to be either very large or very small. So the very large works, in a sense, sort of started as a way for me to, I guess, come at ideas of painting and textiles, sort of in a in an attempt to fuse them to, I guess, elucidate aspects of both that I wanted or that I found interesting, I guess. So um, I don't know, like working with the figure, um, I don't work from life. I usually work from a mix of different references and source images. And in a sense, I'm trying to create almost like invent a person on the surface. So with this sort of idea of immersion, like I guess I'm sort of trying to create an experience for the viewer where they're encountering this other person who may know, either may know something about the viewer or just have some clue into something that the viewer doesn't know, if that makes any sense. Um, And I guess that sort of factors into memory for me. Like, it's strange because, um, I don't know, I guess these, figures that I end up painting are sort of amalgamations of so many different things, including, uh, I guess, experiences that I've had in my own life. So in a sense, their memories, like, I don't know, just sort of like lived experience on my end, I guess. I think for me, um, I think my largest portrait is around six by seven feet and I think that scale is really nice because through experimenting with with different like sizes of of um scale I I found that just like gesturally I think um the larger scale it's kind of like it's easier to to experiment and like make those different sorts of gestures and when it's kind of for me when it's small it it becomes very controlled and um yeah i think uh, a reason that i work on that larger scale as well is because i wanted my portraits to be sort of larger than life um i didn't want people to kind of like come and just like study these pieces like museum objects or something like that. I kind of wanted them to be like sort of commanding the room and commanding the space. And um, yeah, so for me, that scale is 
sort of challenging the viewer in a way and um hopefully uh giving the the person in the painting some sort of like power or something like that yeah i like okay. i like preston's use of the, of the word encounter um to sort of have like the viewer has an encounter with this um with this piece um i was a little bit curious though preston if you can talk about the the shift between large and small for you because those are like two very specific decisions or that's a very specific decision to work really large and also really small right um well actually something that lauren said really uh stuck with me is something that i sort of think about a lot too is um this idea of like power relationships between paintings that's something that I've sort of worked with in the past, but never really explicitly. Um, but that's something that I'm really interested in, like really testing in a sense, going forward. Um, this idea of like who holds, in a room with paintings, who holds the power? Is it the artist? Is it the viewer? Is it, in the case of figurative paintings, is it the figure in the painting? Um, and uh, I don't know, like, in terms of issues with scale, like, I think as painters, especially, we're sort of betting on this idea that whoever's viewing the work will get whatever meaning or emotion that we've put into the work within the span of, I don't know, maybe 30 seconds that they look at it, and then they're gone. So that's something that's really, I think, is like such a big challenge is trying to capture like really trying to capture somebody's attention with painting because um, I guess we're so inundated with different images that um, trying to, I don't know, tell people that first of all, these things are objects and they're not necessarily images. Like there's an imagistic part of it, but that there's something deeper within it that you can't necessarily get from other experiences. So, um, yeah, I don't know, in terms of like my own work, like the smaller works, I'm still trying to negotiate my own relationship to them. So um, I don't know, yeah. Yeah, hearing each of you talk of it too gets me thinking about a few things. Um, so first, this fact that you're all considering the viewer and considering the um, experience, even though, you know, I'm assuming most of the time you're making work, maybe not even quite sure who that audience or those viewers may be. Um, and then also, Preston, you were just, and Lauren as well, we're talking about um, sort of sense of experimentation of like trying things out as you're developing, working through these questions um, related to scale, memory, and practice overall. Um, and so I'm curious also to know a little bit more about that in terms of your processes. Like, is, is this how you've always made work of sort of trying to figure this out or Preston, you were just sort of alluding to this sense of like neg still negotiating and still struggling with ideas and trying to manifest some sort of solution um, toward these questions. So I'm, I'm curious um, how you individually think your, pr your practices have sort of developed and evolved within these questionings of like experimenting through different strategies of making. Maybe Lauren, do you want to start? Yeah, um, I think that 
one of the things that when I kind of reflect on the portraits that I've made, because I think I've made somewhere around 30 portraits um, while I was in Edmonton. And I think I was always struggling. I was just like, oh, like, what does my work even mean? Like, what, why am I doing this? Like, why am I painting these images? And like, um, I, I think that uh, when I look back, I think that each decision was sort of like um, countering the images that I saw growing up of Indigenous people. So it's just like, I would see like black and white photos of Indigenous people that kind of relegate, relegated us to the past. And um, so, yeah, I guess a response to that would have been like, my colorful images and like having these larger images. And um, so sort of like looking back, I'm just like, I made all these decisions that just like countered my ideas of like, the ideas that I saw of indigenous people like growing up and stuff like that. So if you look at my paintings, like there's not a lot of like cultural signifiers or anything like that. And I think, um, that's also just a response to like people being, people questioning like, oh, you don't look indigenous or something like that. And so I think um, when I look back, I, I thought, I was like, oh, I don't really know what I'm doing. Like, I don't know if my work is meaningful because there isn't like, there's not a lot of like symbols or there's not a lot of like other sort of like hidden things in, in these works. But when I look back, I'm like, oh, I made, I made a lot of decisions and they were very intentional. And also I think it was a way to sort of get to know my community, um, like different indigenous people from different communities and stuff like that. And just to understand my own indigeneity through that. And so, um, yeah, I guess when I look at how it evolved, like I, I'm thinking about all those choices and decisions that I made and um, yeah, yeah. Oh. Maybe I'll jump in building off of that um, because hearing you speak about it too gets me thinking so much about um, maybe there's a difference sometimes between how artists navigate and consider success within practice versus how I don't know, like the outside world does or like the sector, I guess, the artistic sector does. Um, and Lauren, you're getting me thinking about how this like sort of never ending ongoing investigation into, um, you know, materials and the way that you're working, but then also these larger personal um, questions that artists are all grappling with in different ways as well. Um, so I'm curious to, especially because you're all brought together under this framework of being, you know, sort of quote unquote early career artists. Um, and then also under the framework of having um, been awarded a prize as well. I'm curious to hear for you how you define and think about success. And maybe um, it's a bit of a loaded question, I know. Um, so maybe like there are different ways of approaching answering it, uh, whether that be for you as an artist in your practice or sort of like career, whatever that means. Emmanuel, do you want to dive in? Yeah. I. It is it is a loaded question, and I I I feel like it's a moving moving target. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a temptation for me to like go real deep 
but also like I think probably more on the surface is like um I think for me success is being able to continue to make art um I feel like a lot of the like you know like going back to what Lauren is saying like a lot of the decisions I've made in the past you know 10 years of my life have been really trying to figure out um and and create opportunities for me to to keep making art um and to keep um and, and not even just to keep making but to to keep challenging myself and challenging the work so um the work evolves because there's this feels like there's this thread that i'm pulling or uh, maybe a, a, a not a, a little bit grotesque way is like there's a scab I'm picking at you know there's something there's something there um and like you know a practice or uh, yeah a practice as a a form of knowledge or a way of thinking thinking out loud so I feel like for me success is is that is is to be able to keep doing it um and then maybe right alongside that is yeah, the fact that we're embedded in a community and I think about how significant my community is to the work that I'm making. Um, and so I think I I want my work to also be significant in my community. Um, and that's something I can't necessarily define other than like I know that's a, a desire and maybe it's easier to know when it's not happening than it is to know when it is happening. Yeah, I think um, this whole idea of success for me is really a blurry space because I don't know, like so far I've been like immensely blessed with all of the opportunities that I've had and all these different things that in a way sort of from the outside world are sort of like confirming my existence as an artist in a way. Um, but if we're thinking about sort of what Emmanuel is saying, like, uh, at least sort of in like a personal sense, like success being the ability and the desire to continue to create work. Um, I don't know, like, I don't know if other people are feeling this, but like the way that I've sort of worked over the past year, year and a half or two years, it's been like really sort of like major ebbs and flows, like, there are times when I make a lot of work and then times when I don't make anything. Um, and it's really strange. I'm kind of in a time right now where I'm not really doing much. So it's like, I don't know, it's like a constant battle to figure out um, why am I doing this? Like, why do I continue to do this? And I think sort of where I'm at right now, sort of at what I hope is that, I guess, like the end period of not really doing anything is um, I just have this small little seed of an idea in my head, small little kernel. And um, it's so like, it's, it's going back to what I was talking about with Lauren earlier about this idea of like power relationships in painting. So um, for me, that's like the little tiniest thing that I can hold on to in this period of like, I don't even know why I do this. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, um, yeah I think I, uh, 
I agree with um, Emmanuel when he said that um, just just trying to keep it going or um, having the ability to just like keep making work. Um, I think that's really nice. And I think also like, yeah, um, what Preston said, like sort of like the ebb and flow of like creating work and not really creating work. Like, I think, um, I think I was earlier, I guess, in the fall of 2021, I was just having such a hard time because I wasn't making anything and I didn't have like any desire to. And I was like, I was like, oh no, I, I think like my practice is like, it's just like, it's not good. It's like something's happening. Maybe this is like, maybe this is the end or something, but like um, just being kind of dramatic, but like, um, I think it was Renda Draney said that like your practice is like, it's not something that can be like harmed. Like it's like a part of you. It's always, um, you're not always going to be like doing it, but like, um something like I don't know like commercial success or something like that like it doesn't really I think from like a, a capitalist view we that's kind of how we like view a lot of our like practices and like what's happening and our success and stuff like that but um really I think like it is a success if you just like, if if things weren't happening, like uh, in a way where you're, you're just making lots of money or something like that and you're still kind of just doing it. I think that's successful um, to just like be making something. And like, I think it's also just like a way of responding. A practice is a way of responding to like the world and like responding to like, your experiences and like what's going on and stuff like that. So I think that, yes, yeah, success is like, it It can be many different things, but I think that um, for me, if I'm like, yeah, if there's like, like Preston said, like a seed of like an idea or like, for me, it's like, I just, after the Christmas break, I just felt like, I was like, oh, I really want to get in the studio. Like, I'm I'm really excited. Like, I want to paint. I don't have, like, an idea or anything. I just want to, like, feel the materials and, like, just, like, work with them. And I think that's, like, the part of it that's, like, always exciting. It's just, like, oh, I want to, like, get in the studio and, like, do something. So, yeah. I think I think a lot about, like, when I first started painting, like, when I was, like, 13 or 14, and I was just... <laughs> copying my high school art teacher's work and like how much fun I had <laughs> just painting like it was just straight up the best time I like stopped video gaming I stopped eating um but <laughs> I would just paint all time all the time um and I, I think yeah in many ways I still I it's this back and forth of like trying to remember that right because then it, it's weird when it becomes a career and like now this is the thing that like determines whether you can pay your rent or not and, and all these things, but then you're still trying to hold on to that seed of like, um, this, this can also be extremely enjoyable and like grounding. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a back and forth. 
I love hearing this sense of success as being something that sort of doesn't have an end point, like it's just ongoing and it has much more to do with you engaging with practice as artists. And like also maybe like reminding everyone that something that Lauren pointed to that, um, you know, being an artist goes beyond just making things, but it is like sort of like a life choice maybe is one way to put it. Um, and also this idea of opportunities and, you know, the benefit of maybe how opportunities allow you an opportunity to have time and space to continue this sort of exploration of work. Um, and something, Lauren, that you and I had spoken about before that um, you really introduced me to thinking about the opportunities in this way of sort of being a little bit like strategizing, but then also like the work and labor that goes into finding opportunities and taking advantage of opportunities to be able to offer yourself this chance to um, practice and explore. Um, so I'm curious to hear maybe from all of your perspectives, like, yeah, when is it that opportunities work and how much even do you sort of consider seeking out opportunities to allow you that opportunity um, to sort of like, <laughs> Manuel, I think you said like pick up that scab um, of an idea. And Preston, you maybe could begin, um, if you don't mind, just because you've let us know that you sort of have an idea right now that you're really like keen on getting going on. So how much of that time is spent thinking about finding the time and space to be able to? Yeah, it's really interesting because, uh, I don't know, like when you're in that sort of those introductory spaces for new ideas, um, the first thing that comes that you come into contact with is the way that you make work. Um, and it's something that I can't really hide from. Like, I'm not somebody who I don't think is very prolific in a sense. Like I don't make work all the time. Like I'm not constantly in the studio making stuff as much as I would like to be. Um, so for me, like I have this little idea in my head, but just getting, taking that first step, getting back into the studio is, I don't know, it's really the hardest part. Um, and yeah, I don't know. The thing about, I guess, opportunities that sort of force you to take that first step, it's, I don't know, like I have, I don't know if other people feel this, but I have like a sort of a love and hate relationship to them because in a sense, they do get me out of my comfort zone. And like maybe if I was in my comfort zone forever, I would never do anything. Um, uh, so I guess that's the benefit to them, but eventually with things like that, the clock runs out and you have to submit, like if you make a commitment, you have to submit something. Um, even if it's not necessarily in a state that you are happy with. Um, so yeah, for me, it's like a constant back and forth, I guess. Can you uh, repeat the question again? Sure. Yeah, just thinking about um, the sort of balance of opportunities and how opportunities can offer a chance to um, explore and experiment and do the thing you want to do. Um, but then also how sometimes opportunities take a lot of time to find um, or to mm -hmm. engage with. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that one of the things that I didn't quite realize when I started 
making art and stuff like that is how much it's how time consuming that like searching for opportunities even is and like how it's sort of like it's just like it takes up so much time it's like there's there's always like the deadline seasons like three or four times a year and you're just trying to you're like oh like these things are coming up and I have to like on top of like trying to um have your studio practice and yeah I think like what Preston said like I think it's like it doesn't like having the ideas just like doesn't really come at like a perfect time where you're like oh I have this like perfect idea and there's this deadline and I have just enough time to like make the perfect application or something like that it's like it's usually like for me at least it's like it's usually like a last minute thing and I'm like okay here's some like half ideas and like <laughs> um but yeah I don't know I think it's like I think just like thinking about the the time consuming part of that and like um it's really just like a huge chunk of your time as an artist I think like searching for these things and but when it does I think like most of the time you end up like getting rejected because there's just so many people like seeking out those opportunities but like when it does work it's like it can sometimes be like a really nice thing like I'm thinking about when I got the Alberta's Artist in Residence grant like that was like a whole year that I got to just like think about an idea and just like explore it and um so yeah um a lot of a lot of rejection before and after that and I don't know it's funny like kind of going into uh just thinking about like competition and stuff like we end up just like competing for those opportunities like with each other like definitely me and um, yeah like me and Emmanuel um were sort of like had just like this jokey competition going on where we're just like oh we're like we're peers and we're like going for all the same things and so like who's gonna get it like <laughs> sometimes just like neither of us <laughs> but yeah I would always ask if Lauren was applying because then if she was then I just wouldn't even bother like ah Lauren's gonna get it <laughs> it's an interesting thing to talk about and to hear artists talk about because I feel like these are actually things we don't talk about uh very much um especially not publicly so maybe I'm like creating a an opportunity for that or maybe this is gonna be really uncomfortable um but yeah I'd love to hear because all of you have talked about um in addition to making work for audience you are also community and you know, you might be defining and thinking about community in different ways, but you very much are a part of a broader artistic community, even though you're spanning and across geography right now. Um, and so I'm curious to hear, like, yeah, what does it mean that we've sort of set up this community of artists in a way that are competing against one another? Um, I love that you have this sort of fun, um, loving relationship about competing and sort of pushing one another as artists. Um, maybe a fair way to phrase this sort of questioning is what do you think of the state of opportunities um, for artists across the country 
Is there anything that you would love to see, like some sort of opportunity from an artist's perspective that doesn't exist that might help propel and fuel your practices differently? I think, like Christina, I think you and I have talked about one thing that I would like to see, like, like in, especially in the, in the Canadian context, a lot of, um, this is a, an overgeneralization, but there's some truth to it, but a lot of careers, especially early careers are funded by grants and awards, um, which really pushes that this idea of competition. It's it's inherent in like working with, you know, my friends. Um, many times we share calls and we'll apply and we, we have a playful banter, um, but it's it's real. Like my 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 wife is an artist as well. And there was a time she got an ESC grant and she was ecstatic. And I was like, I'm so happy for you. But the fact that you got that email and I didn't get an email means that I did not get my grant. Um, and and there's, it, was this, it was this complex feeling, right? Because like, here's like my best friend and I'm equally happy for them, but equally sad for myself. Um, but one thing, like in a dream, in a beautiful world or a dream world, but one thing that would be nice is just like, you know, patronage, like people out there um, who see artists work that they really enjoy um, and really want to see them thrive. It's like, yeah, buy more. Um, if you can't buy, like, you know, communicate to the artist, figure out how you can support them. Um, because a lot of the times we we sort of have to figure out how to do this thing on our own. And then we enjoy sharing it um, with everybody else, but it's usually like at the end um, of the process. So um, that's one thing that might, you know, could be nice. And then it takes the pressure off of that com competitive edge. I don't know. What do I know? I'm just saying. Yeah, I don't know. I think a certain amount of competition is healthy in a sense, because in a way, I guess it pushes everybody to really do their best work. Um, which I don't know, maybe I'm in that space right now where I don't have anything, so I don't do anything <laughs> really. Um, I sort of need that, I guess, a little bit of competitive edge, but I think it's really important to, um, like, I don't know, like Canada, across Canada, there are only a certain number of um, opportunities for artists and there's so many artists. So I think it's really important to sort of just in that community aspect to know who you're sort of in the game with, if that makes any sense. Um, because I feel like that, I guess, um, I don't know, it just creates a more personable environment and cuts away, I guess, at the negative aspects of competitiveness. I'm going to pick up on that in a second, but also just to say, um, if anyone who is also here with us can't see your faces, but um, if you have any questions, Maybe I'll leave it to Emily to sort of prompt if there are any. Um, and while you're thinking up questions to put into the chat um, and continuing on with Preston, what you were just talking about of sort of being in community with other artists and knowing who your people are um, as a community of artists, I'd love to hear um, how you're each navigating that, knowing that you're also now sort of like moving to other uh, regions um, as artists all engaging in 
post-secondary education as artists and sort of how that maybe uh, might expand this community of artists that you, as you've come to know it um, and how you feel about that or think about that. Maybe Lauren, do you want to start? Yeah, so um, uh, maybe could you rephrase the question? Yeah, sure. Okay. I went through a lot there. Um, <laughs> just thinking about if it's true that we sort of have a community of artists that we're uh, in conversation with and sort of your community of artists help you grow and learn and, and shift your expectations. Um, how you're finding that community maybe expanding or maybe not as you move to a different uh, region from where mm -hmm. you had been working before? Yeah, I think like one of the, uh, a big challenge in Edmonton was just that I wasn't really sure, like, um, like not being in any of the sort of like art programs in school or anything like that. I wasn't really sure like where to, um, to find community to sort of like, be with and like I mean like me and Emmanuel when we both lived here were like um we would like visit each other's studios and stuff like that but I felt like a lot of times I was mostly just like at the studio like by myself and ended up being in like spaces that weren't really a part of like bigger like um art spaces with like community and stuff like that so I think the reason that I decided to like um, come to Vancouver is just like and go to school was to find that sort of like community and like get so I could get like regular feedback from peers or mentorship or um, stuff like that because I just felt like I'm like oh I'm having I feel like I'm just having a conversation with myself every day like I'm just like it's just me and the paint and like the the studio and I'm like I'm just here every single day like and so I I wasn't really sure to like how to get things like moving in like a different direction or stuff like that I think people in Edmonton are just like so generous like there's so many generous people that like just like helped me along and stuff but I think the one thing that I felt like was lacking a lot of times was just like that like where where do we go like like where does like I talk to like other painters like other than online because I think we are all pretty like connected online um but physically I mean before the pandemic um it's just like um how how do we find that because I think it's like a really essential part of growing as an artist Emmanuel I'd love to hear what you think about similar things yeah uh uh that was a large part of why I also came uh, to uh, Ontario to, to do an MFA. So I'd, I'd been out of my undergrad for about four years. Um, I'd had a, a shared studio space um, in Edmonton um, with like incredible painters as well. So that was, that was really good. It was, that, was, that was something I really, I got into that studio right after my undergrad. And I think in many ways was something that helped me sustain a practice because I was in a community of people who were still making and um, I think uh, yeah Scott Cumberland is a painter that was in one of in the studio and I was just fascinated by his work ethic uh, or Sam Waldron like 
they just worked. Like I would go to the studio and like be on my computer and they would be in painting and that it taught me a lot. Um, and I, I think that's what Lauren is getting at in terms of like just what it is to be with other makers and how we kind of like help each other grow. Um, and yeah, after four years, by the time I was leaving Edmonton, I was working by myself in my garage and it kind of felt a bit isolated or isolating. Um, so then I moved to Ontario and did the MFA program and my cohort in the MFA program were just a gift, like six incredible artists. Our practices are very different. Um, and in many ways, that was the best thing that could have happened to me because it really made me think about why I was making the decisions I was making because I could see people making drastically different decisions. Um, so yeah, it's it, it was something I had to really seek out, I had to be really intentional about. And now that I'm not in um, an MFA program, it's something I'm, and I just, I moved to Toronto in September um, and yeah, having to kind of figure out, okay, how do I um, build a community here? And like Preston said, like, who are my people? Um, who could be my people in this space? So it's, yeah, back and forth, constantly growing. It's growing, it's growing like, I haven't been in Edmonton in a while, but in many ways, I still feel very connected there. Yeah, I mean, that's really the reason that I came to Halifax, too, is to find that, I don't know, just to find sort of outside sources of help for things that I, after working on my own for, I think, like two years, like I took two years off after I graduated from EQN. So, um, a lot of that time I'm just working in my parents' garage, like I'm isolated in a sense, like Emmanuel said. So I feel like in a sense that you can only get so far on your own. And um, I don't know, like since I had done my first two years in university, I just thought that's a place where I found community before. I feel like I can find that again. Um, so my decision to come to Halifax was just multifaceted, but I really wanted to just sort of explore the community here and just see what I could find and all the people that I could meet. And so far, it's really been great for me. Okay, just going to unmute because we had a couple questions come through in the chat. Um, Chris Carson would like to know if any of you think you'll be returning to Edmonton after your education. Um, I'm thinking he probably wants to have you all back here in our little local community. So, yeah, I'll throw that out to Emmanuel first. I, I, yeah, um, I, I know that I would love to, um, but I don't know, I don't know where life is going. Um, but I know that if the opportunity arises to come back to Edmonton, I would happily, happily jump on that opportunity. Yeah. Um, but Lauren might be mad. Um, I think that I, I think I'm pretty, if it's pretty new to have moved out to Vancouver, so I don't really know what will happen, but I think I would like to return to Alberta, like eventually. Um, I think like it's definitely been my home. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm the same way. Like I lived in Alberta for five years uh, and moving away is really hard, but I miss my parents, my family and stuff. But um, yeah, I don't know where life is going to take me, but I'd love to come back soon to visit. At least. Yeah. 
And I'm going to ask another question just because it's my personal favorite question to ask artists and you open the floor to questions. So this is happening. Um, I always like to know what your favorite part of the artistic process is. Like, is it the first idea you get? Is it the actual hands-on making? Is it the talking about what you're going to create? Or is it the end process of finally getting to share these pieces and these moments and these ideas with people? So yeah, sort of the best moments. Uh, Preston, if you want to start. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think for me, it's really that early stage. I think it's the best part and the worst part for me because it's so open and it's so, like, I, I feel like I can go anywhere with it. Um, and that's always the most exciting. Like, I feel like there's nothing that I can't, like, learn or just sort of take a first step in. But at the same time, it's also the most scary because, uh, you have nothing really to hold on to except for stuff that you did in the past, which you're trying to, like in my, and like in my case, like I try to move on a little bit, but yeah, I don't know. I love gessoing canvas. Like when you put two coats of gesso on a canvas, you sanded it down, it's just crisp white, it smells like incredible. And every time I'm like, why do I have to paint on it? Like, why can't I just stop here? Like. It's just like maybe similar to Preston, like it's like the possibilities at that point are like endless. Um, and I love the process. Like it's it's very meditative, like coat, 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 let it dry, coat, coat, listen to podcasts. It's great. Um, yeah, I think I like I really like preparing preparing um the canvas if if I'm like stretching it or just like um doing whatever I need to do to get it ready. But I also really like the, there's like, I feel like there's always a point in a painting where I'm just like, I'm just like, okay, what's happening here? I don't really know where this is going or necessarily like where it's going, but then maybe like some, you come in like a new day with like a fresh set of eyes and it's just like it, something different clicks and then things start happening in like a good way. It doesn't always happen with every piece, but like I think when it does, it's like it's really nice. And sometimes I'm like, I'm like, oh no, I forgot how to paint, and then I can just like <laughs> take a breather. I'm like, okay, just like this works out. <laughs> it just feels like each time, like it's like a miracle or something. Okay, we've had another question come through in the chat. Um, who's wondering? Uh, the question asker is wondering about your takes on defining some artists as BIPOC or non-BIPOC by galleries and institutions, um, and whether you have sort of personal perspectives on the varying opportunities um, and terminology that kind of comes along with that. So I'm summarizing quite a long question. So if you have any any thoughts on that, I don't know. I don't know if I, I don't know if I think a lot about um, how institutions or you know galleries and stuff might define might define those things um so i don't i don't know if i have a good answer i i feel like i don't think too much about about it um and and more sort of i'm invested in making my work um and asking asking my questions yeah maybe i'll piggyback on emmanuel's answer a little bit um and now, like for myself with my artist hat on, I think um, 
maybe I'm reading between the lines of hearing the question too, but I think I am glad that institutions recognize the lack of diversity that has been sort of systemic and ongoing, especially across Canadian arts institutions. Um, but I'm also often quite dubious of uh, like what they mean. Emmanuel sort of mentioned the definition or like how it is that an institution comes to defining such ideas and thinking about identity. And then also I'm often quite worried um, that this conversation is sort of held within the realm of just checking boxes. Um, you know, often boxes that are placed upon institutions from on high, from funders um, to do a thing or to recognize a thing, uh, but where that sort of actual engagement, understanding, or even interest in understanding comes from is sort of where I tend to get a bit uncomfortable. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's a really great question. And I think um, one of the things that strikes me as really important, and even though I think, you know, everyone is sad that the three of you are no longer like physically within the artistic community here, um, that we all very much benefit from the new conversations you're having elsewhere and the new relationships that you're building with other artists and institutions elsewhere. Um, and there's something about that in terms of that sort of sense of it being expanded beyond across borders, which, you know, aren't real anyway, um, that I think as a community, uh, we really all benefit from. And so I think even this last question that came in, I think one of the sort of maybe troubling of the question that's really interesting is how maybe that shifts over time, especially as artists have these opportunities to have conversations with other artists elsewhere even though I do also like hope you all do move back here. Thankfully we have the internet to keep in touch if not. <laughs> Is there anything that um, the three of you would like to say like out loud now that you have an audience um, that are intently paying attention? Um, I'll just say that I love um, Preston and Emmanuel's work and I'm very excited and, and Christina, like everybody here, uh, I'm just excited to see like what you're up to and what you're working on and just like continue these conversations um, beyond this, this um, Zoom or Microsoft meeting. <laughs> Ditto that. Um, it's, I feel like probably one of the best things that's ever happened to me is, yeah, I've been like, Preston used the word blessed. I've been blessed to just have really great um, pairs. Like my, my, my friends are incredible artists and I get to be in conversation with so many like amazing people and, and not just amazing, just kind, kind people. And I feel like that's been a, a gift to me in my practice. So um, yeah, nice to, nice to see you all and um, some of the names in this, in this meeting. Yeah. Like, all I have to say is uh, I hope we can all meet again soon in person because these like little uh, virtual meetings are cool and they're really helpful, but there's nothing like connecting in person. So hope to do that soon. Thank you all so much. Thanks for spending the time and sharing and being so open about um, your practices because I, I do feel like it's important to say that it's not necessarily always easy for artists to really talk like intimate about their 
intimate practices and how they approach uh, working and making on things. So thanks for doing so in this uh, virtual space. Um, and then maybe I'll leave it to Emily because I know the exhibition is still up for a little bit longer, but I forget the closing date if you haven't checked it out yet. Yes, definitely. Um, Ingrid Company is going to be up until February 5th, uh, 5 o'clock, Saturday, so open all day that day. Um, as well as you're able to tune in, there's another virtual panel discussion next Thursday evening with the other four artists who are also part of this exhibition. And so we felt it was really important not only to share their incredible work, but to be able to hear everyone's voices. Um, so thank you very much to Emmanuel, Lauren and Preston. It was really, really interesting. And I really deeply appreciate your candor uh, for sharing today. It was wonderful. And thank you, Christina, for putting together such a lovely moderated panel. Uh, I, we're also getting some thank you messages coming through on the chat. So it's not just my sentiments here, but for everyone in the room. Um, I also wanted to extend a deep sense of gratitude to Carfac Alberta for helping us to organize this exhibition and get in touch with all of the artists that couldn't have done it without them and to the Edmonton Community Foundation uh, for funding the exhibition and this virtual panel. So their support is really deeply appreciated and it helps artists to keep doing what they do best. Uh, so thank you all for joining and I hope to see you all soon and anyone who can come to the show can stop by at some point when we're open. So. Warm thank you to Emily Baker, curator at the Art Gallery St. Albert for sharing the audio of this discussion. The exhibition In Good Company will be hosted at the Art Gallery of St. Albert until February 5th, 2022, and we'll have links to their website in our show notes. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of the Well Endowed Podcast. We hope you enjoyed hearing from these talented artists. And if you did, be sure to share this episode with a friend. You can also connect with us on Facebook, where you can share your thoughts and see some pictures. Thanks again for tuning in. I've been your host, Andrew Paul. Until next time. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation and is an affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. The show is edited by Lisa Pruden. You can visit our website at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at the ECF. Our theme music is by Octavo Productions. And as always, don't forget to visit Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org. Well Endowed.